0: Hello, musical theatre fans. Welcome to another episode of the Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast. So this is an exciting episode. I love talking to people who work in the musical theatre industry. I feel like I'm learning a lot from that as a composer and a director. That's only going to help me. But lots of people love musical theatre and I don't want to just interview insiders on this show. So this week we have Brian McFadden, a man who has sold millions upon millions of records in Westlife and as a solo artist. And as you will hear, he also has a deep love for musicals, particularly the classics. If you're a fan of pop music, I'm sure you'll have heard that Brian has teamed up with Keith Duffy from Boyzone, and they've put out two records so far as Boy's Life. Not only that, but they're going on tour together this year, and you can find all the dates and tickets at boyslifestore.myshopify.com. If you haven't heard their music before, do go check it out. Their first record together features a full symphony orchestra and covers of classic Westlife and Boyzone songs. And their new record, Old School, has lots of original songs too, with a a slightly retro rock edge. It's, It's a cool one. Go listen to it. We talk about both of those albums and much more in the interview. Remember to head over to musicaltheatrereview.com for all the latest news, reviews and interviews on all things on stage, backstage and worldwide. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episodes sent straight to your podcasting app of choice. We have such a good lineup of guests this season and I would hate for you to miss out. You can also follow the podcast on the socials at the handle at musicalmarepod and Brian himself at at Brian McFadden. Now, I don't really like to talk about myself in this podcast too much. I declared myself mayor and that's enough narcissism for anyone. But due to schedules, we had to record this interview while I was at my day job, which is in a school. So I was constantly shooing away noisy children and worrying about the noise from the playground outside. So I was, I was a bit worried about being you know, a bit distracted, a bit disjointed conversation happening because of that. But Brian is an absolute pro, as you'll hear. We had a fantastic chat. We covered some really fantastic musicals. I hope you enjoy this chat between Brian McFadden and the mayor of musical theatre. Let's get into it.
1: me and my sister we were both munchkins um i was one of the lollipop
0: kids he is a singer-songwriter who has sold millions upon millions of records as part of the band westlife as a solo artist and now with Boyzone's keith duffy in their supergroup boys life brian mcfadden thank you so much for joining us on the mayor of musical theater podcast how are you doing i'm good how are you doing it's been a long press day for you i think yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's been okay. Listen, they they come up every time we have a tour or an album out. You have, you've got to do all the interviews, but you get used to it. It's been twenty odd years now <laughs> of doing it, so you kind of kind of trained naturally for it just to to spill out at the stage. So it's nice to do something like this where I'm talking about something a bit different.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the the tour before we get into the musical theatre. Um, you've been in Westlife. You had a hugely successful solo career. And now you're joining up with Keith Duffy from Boyzone, another huge band. You've released two albums. You're going on tour again. Do you just not want to rest?
1: Uh, I do, but I, we enjoy doing it. You know, obviously we don't we don't go out as much as we used to when we were younger. You know, mm-hmm. I think when we started in Westlife, we worked 365 days a year. We If we weren't doing gigs, we were doing TV shows or photo shoots and all over the world. So the nice thing now is we, we get to have a nice home life and then we go off for, you know, a month or so and do a tour. And we do that a couple of times a year and then we do some festivals and stuff. So it's a nice balanced life that we have now. So, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever stop singing <laughs> until we die. <laughs>
0: Well, that's good. You you both share that mentality. Have you been friends for a long time? I've
1: been friends since uh, 1998 when Westlife were Boys on Support Act. Wow. Um, That's when I first met Keith and we've pretty much been friends ever since.
0: I mean, you have to imagine there's a little bit of a rivalry there with you've both sold loads of records. You're both successful artists. How does it work when you're on tour? How do you decide who gets to sing the heroic high notes and that sort of thing?
1: Um, no, there's no rivalry. You know, you have to remember as well, we didn't really cross over because Westlife kind of came out as boys Zone were about to take their first break. Okay. And and by the time boys Zone came back after that break, Westlife had, had broken up themselves. So we never really were out at the same time. And when it comes to us doing what we do, you know, we know each other's voices inside out. So we know which bits is going to suit who. And it, it just kind of happens naturally. We don't even we don't really have much of a discussion. We just kind of go, All right, I'll do that. And he'll be like, yeah, I'll do this. And we just, we just know now at this stage.
0: Your first record, Strings Attached, where you're singing Boyzone and Westlife songs together. That must have been a great experience. How did you choose which songs to cover from each of those bands?
1: Yeah, it was it, the album, doing the album was a bit different than, than touring, obviously, because we had to recreate this sound with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. So, you know, production-wise on those songs, there's a lot of those songs, especially the up-tempo songs that have a lot going on in them that maybe wouldn't work with an orchestra. So we had to kind of picking the songs was hard because we had to pick the songs that we thought would would work with an orchestra without making it first of all too different but at the same time making it different enough that it sounded like our own, if you know what I mean. So yeah. We had a, we tried a lot of songs and we you know we used um with the producer Dan we actually we did some kind of mock-up strings and stuff to try different songs, but it was a long process for us to narrow it down. And in the end, there was even a couple of songs that we did that we didn't use because they just didn't work. They were, you know, there's some, some, especially up-tempo songs. It's very hard for an orchestra to recreate that kind of rhythm, mm. especially when you've got big Swedish sounding pop songs. They don't really, they don't really work out with an orchestra as well.
0: Well, on the latest record, you've gone in a complete other direction. Then, I mean, it's still got the the anthemic choruses, the soaring melodies, the the love songs that you're known for. But it's yeah. there's a lot of guitars on there. Some of those songs really rock hard. Well, yeah, that's the album's called Old School because we wanted to make an album that would have
1: been something that Keith and I would have bought as kids. You know, the kind of music that we listen to. You know, from bands like Guns and Roses and Brian Adams, U two, all these rock bands that dominated in the 80s and the 90s um and we wanted to make one of those kind of records especially the 90s for me to me when we were producing this record i wanted it to sound like something that would be in a real 90s movie like top gun or the karate kid or one of those kind of movies you know um that's what we wanted to do we wanted to almost go back back in time with this sound with this album
0: I mean you're putting a tour together now uh, how do you find the balance when you're on tour between the up tempo songs and the big ballads and the old hits and the new songs?
1: Well, we don't have that many up tempos <laughs> so they normally get all get done uh, and we normally start start fast finish fast and then kind of sing all the ballads in the middle um and with the new stuff we don't do much of the new stuff we only do probably the sing a couple of the singles. You know, because we know that most people are coming to hear, you know, the old stuff. So we're very conscious of that. And we're very conscious of making sure that most of the songs that we do from Westlife and Boys On as well are the biggest hits, you know. So when people turn up at the show, they they know pretty much everything that we're going to sing.
0: I've been listening to the, the Old School album in the gym over the last week. And it's it's really it really gets you going it's it's good to have some of the, those rock songs amongst the ballads, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, listen, see, I think when we think of ballads in Boys on Westlife, we think of the really slow, you know, ballads. But yeah, I, I guess in the 80s and the 90s, that kind of big power ballad was a ballad. You know, there's big soaring, you know, rock drums, rock guitars and those, every chorus you want to hold your fist in the air when you're singing it, you know, that that's what, to me, that was a ballad growing up. But then obviously when I joined Westlife, I realised that, There's another level of ballad, which is songs like Flying Without Wings, which are really slow and quiet. Hmm. So, yeah, you you kind of learn that there's different kinds of ballads, but we wanted to do the original style ballad for this album. You're
0: talking about some of your early music influences, and you mentioned earlier you're a big fan of musical theatre as well. Do you remember how you first got into musical theatre? Like, was there a show that really got you into it?
1: Well, there was no one time that I got got into musical theatre. I grew up, obviously, starting out with Christmas time, you know, back because kids today won't understand that there was a time when you only got to watch a movie when it was on the TV. There was no such thing as Netflix and, and Amazon and all this stuff. So every Christmas, we were always very excited about, you know, Boxing Day, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve. You would always have either Annie, Oliver, Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz, um, Grease, and maybe something like uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So these, these were the movies that I grew up kind of loving, you know. And I then I went to stage school when I was... Quite young, probably four or five. Oh, wow. So I was always singing songs from musicals as a kid. But for me, my first love of actually going to the theatre and seeing a musical was when I seen uh, Blood Brothers. I was only quite young, probably early teens, maybe, and maybe even younger. And my mum and dad brought me to see Blood Brothers in Dublin, the Olympia Theatre. And I was just blown away. Absolutely loved it. There's something so dark about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so much light in it. Um, and I think it was the first time that I was ever emotionally moved by something. You know, I'd watched movies before. Yeah. But I think I was so young that I never cried if something sad happened. But that was the first time that I ever felt proper emotion. I think it's because the people are right in front of you.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and it really, I think it, it really hit home. And, and to this day, it's still the one, whenever I think of Blood Brothers and I've seen many different productions now all over the world of it, and it's still to this day One of the most poignant moments for me of of feeling emotion in front of my face, you know. We're actually shedding a tear and feeling my heartstrings getting pulled, going, this is sad, (laughs) (laughs) man.
0: You mentioned stage school. Were you put into productions as a child? Were you acting? I was. um, Me and my sister,
1: we were both in The Wizard of Oz for over a year in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. Oh, incredible. Um, Me and my sister, we were both munchkins. Um, I was one of the lollipop kids and she was one of the Lullaby League. Um, And I also got to be a flying monkey. Wow. So there was, we, I was in a stage school called Billy Barry and there was like, oh, there's got to be 20, maybe 25 of us in the show. Uh, but then there was a couple of us got, got to do the Flying Monkeys as well, the older ones. So what an incredible experience that was though, you know, so exciting every night, finishing school at three o'clock in the afternoon and into the, into the theatre then from five o'clock. Um, and then some sometimes then we'd have Wednesday matinees and we'd get a half day from school to to go and do it. It was just the most incredible experience it was. I loved every minute of it. Uh, it was the only one I really got to do because after that, then I, was, I obviously got into pop music when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, and I was doing more band gigs and stuff like that. But I, I loved that. That's still one of my favourite experiences. I was only ten or eleven at the time, but I still look back and, and cherished every moment of that whole year
0: that we did it. Do you think it's ever something you'd get back into? I'm sure there'll be a lot of demand for a show if you were starring in it.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, um, I have, I've, I've thought about it you know a few times it's, it's a long commitment obviously to to do it um, and obviously with the way we work we've always got gigs like I've, I've already got gigs booked in for three years time already you know oh, wow. so trying to find windows I've been offered some shows before um, and I have done I've done a short run of um, it was a musical but we ended up doing arenas with um, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds
0: oh of course, of course. Um, so I
1: did that and I get, that was nice again but the only thing about that again that was more like what we do now it's that's going from venue to venue and changing and touring um but the actual staying in a theater for you know a long period of time i'd love to do that again because there's something beautiful about that having your dressing room set up and going in and you know that familiarity and, and not having to change every night i would love to do it and i went to see ronan keaton when he did uh once Oh, he was West great End. in that, wasn't he? He was great. He was very, very good. I was really impressed. And obviously, I've known Ronan for a long, long time, and and you know he was always a very, very good singer and and, and very capable what he'd done. But obviously, the, the the serious training and stuff he had to go through for that, from guitar playing and obviously vocal singing, because it's very different singing in the theater mm. than it is on stage with a microphone. And his his vocals were just incredible. I was blown away by his his growth by doing that show. So when I saw that as well, that made me want to do it as well. But yeah, you know, maybe it's something down the road. I'll, I'll look at it again. But right now, obviously with the touring that we're doing around the world, it's very hard to even find a gap of a week to do
0: something. Well, you've mentioned lots of great shows um, just in the answer to that question, but is there one musical where the score gets stuck in your head the most? Are there song? Is there a song from musical gets stuck in your head a lot?
1: Yeah, well, there, at the moment it's Mary Poppins because um, I've got a, that girl is about to turn two in May, and she's. I used to sing her the songs from Mary Poppins, and it was one of the first shows I tried to show her on TV to get her into it. And the one song that would get her asleep was Let's Go Fly a Kite. Oh. Um, so that was just on repeat in the house, and I've been singing it, singing it, and she played again. <laughs> um, and then the other song, when she's just about to go to sleep, I'd play Feed the Birds, and that would just conquer. And like I, I started to listen to all the songs again and just thinking, what an incredible musical that was like the music and it's so good you know all the different songs like Feed the Birds to me it's it's just one of the most haunting melodies Mm. you know and and it's funny because I always grew up and, and I think I noticed that about even listening to pop music and other people lyrics were never that important to me listening to songs I was always about the melody because you know, you, some of the lyrics are terrible on, on those songs, but the melody is so haunting that it takes you to a different place without even listening to the words. You know, like "Feed the Birds" is a perfect example. It really is a, just about a woman feeding birds, paying tuppence for a bag of food to feed birds. It's not that moving, but you feel like you're listening to one of the most enchanting songs you've ever heard in your life when you hear it. So I think that's the beauty of musicals, isn't it? It's the, it is. They take you somewhere else without the lyrics being too you know meaningful
0: is a song like feed the birds something you could see yourself covering one day or is it too far away from what you do yeah i have thought about that i have thought about i
1: couldn't sing feed the birds but i have thought about using that melody and and singing something else over that melody because it's so beautiful but as well you know julie andrew's voice makes that as well though you know she's just the dynamics in her vocals are incredible and I know a lot of people these days they kind of snigger at, at, at you know musical vocals you know they, they 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 you hear people saying your voice is too musical and stuff like that but they, they don't get enough credit for her great deal. And I, I know from my own sister you know my own sister was in the west end for a long time she did the king and i and she did clueless and uh sorry not actually legally blonde i meant to say and mm. she um she did sandy in greece for a couple of years as well um and she always had that real musical voice like the, the way she'd use the thrills in her voice mm. and i've always loved it i know a lot of people don't, but I, I love that. Um, I'd love a singer to come out and make kind of popular music with them kind of vocals again. I think kids today need to hear that.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's a different thing. Obviously, if you're on stage and you have to get the plot across as well as the melody, you do have to enunciate well and you do have to sing yeah. in a very distinctive style. Um, well, you, yeah. Do you find your vocal style has been influenced on that? You said you went to stage school. Yeah, no,
1: it, mm. it wasn't. And I think that's why I became a better singer later in life. Yeah. Mm. Um, because I think I, I was with a lot of people who were really brilliant at that when I was in stage school, especially like I was in stage school right up till like, I got into Westlife. Wow. Um, and I was around a lot of seriously good theatrical people like Lisa Lamb and my sister Susan. And there were some incredible singers around me, but they were all really good at that, whereas that didn't suit me. So I was way down the pecking order in our school of, of that vocal. So it, it took me to understand that I am more suited to pop vocals and, and a bit more rock and a bit more rasp than that, you know, eloquent it's, it's elo- eloquently controlled vocals that I, I never had, you know, to be able to control your vibrato and to, to get your scales on point, you know, I can do scales but they'll be, they'll be natural scales, they're not, I wouldn't be able to force, you know, a scale or a thrill. where these people could, so yeah, I think that's why, it, I think that's why when I got into Westlife then I never looked back because, I found my groove then vocally.
0: Is there a musical currently on the West End that you really enjoy? Uh, do you get to go to the theatre a lot?
1: No, I haven't been in a long time. Um, I, I, I I saw the questions you were going to ask me and I had a look online to see what is in the West End at the moment. And I didn't know any of it. The only thing I've seen the West End and I didn't even see it in the West End I saw it on Broadway was The Lion King.
0: Oh, that's been um, out for a while.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen anything else like... When I think of the, the West End or I think of Broadway, I always think of Lame Is and Phantom of the Opera, you know, all these j- Jersey Boys, which is, I, I can't believe that's gone. That's my, probably my all time favorite. Yeah, it's just weird. And I looked at all these shows, and, and and there's, you know, obviously there's the obvious ones there, like Dirty Dancing. And, and like, I would like to go and see the Back to the Future one, but I do miss It's like everything, you know, when you get old, you, you just want a bit of nostalgia. If I go to the West End, I want some, I want an old show. I don't want to see a new show. You know, I don't want to see Only Fools and Horses, the musical. <laughs> I want to see something like Jersey Boys or something like you know, something from the old days, Lay Miz or something. And and the weird thing is the last show I actually went to see in the West End was my first time to see Lay Miz. I went to Lay Miz about five, five or six years ago. Um, just after I did War of the Worlds. Um it was the first time I'd ever seen Lay Miz. Wow. And, and uh, I, I did enjoy it. It was long. It is long, sir. Very big and very big and spectacular. But yeah, pr- pretty amazing show. But it was funny that my whole life never got to see lame Miz. What musical has made you laugh the most? You know, I don't know. I doesn't, I can't really think of one that made me laugh. I'll tell you what, actually, I can't remember the name of it, but I went to see that um, Simon Cowell and what's the guy, bald head, the glasses and the big collars. Oh, Harry Hill. That's from TV. Yes, they wrote that musical together that was based on X Factor and...
0: Yeah, I Can't Prince Sing. Got talent I can't sing,
1: yeah. I enjoyed that. Mm. And so I went to—I think it was—I went to the premiere or something like that. It was one of the, it was like the launch night and everyone was there. I know it didn't last very long, but I—I I actually really enjoyed it and I laughed a lot. I thought for a modern musical, pretty good.
0: Now I missed that one myself, but I've heard such good things about it now, and it's a shame that it's probably not coming back.
1: Yeah, I was very surprised. It didn't last very long. I was—I was quite surprised because mm. I remember on the night, you know, thinking to myself, "This, this is this is a winner." You know, they're onto something good here. And normally with Simon. When he starts something like when he did X Factor and he did Britain's Got Talent it normally is a winner
0: I suppose it's a very different game isn't it the West End and, and pop music yeah maybe
1: that's what it was maybe it was maybe it was uh, frowned upon by you know they're looking you've already taken over TV you know from the from the TV world so maybe leave the theatre alone
0: there's, there's a lot of snobbery So this is Brian McFadden. Thank you again to him for talking to us about the musicals he loves and also the ones he doesn't. Definitely a few controversial opinions in there, but all part of the beautiful variety of human experience. If you have strong opinions either way on his choices, do get involved in the chat on social media in a respectful way. Obviously, you can find us at at musicalmarepod on the socials and do also follow Brian McFadden at, at Brian McFadden and Musical Theatre Review at at Musical Theatre R. Now, back to the chat. Aside from the West End, do you have a favorite movie musical? you've named some great ones already? Uh, Greece, I
1: think you know uh, for me, growing up, Greece was the ultimate, you know the ultimate dream for that's the school you wanted to go to. you wanted to hang out with guys like that, you know yeah. uh, I loved Greece. Uh, Greece was one of those ones that again, back in the day we didn't have Netflix and I had a, a videotape VHS of of Greece and it was something that I almost watched every day. Till, till the video was worn out. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I also, you know, as a kid, though, The Wizard of Oz was up there as well. I watched that a lot. And I watched Annie and Oliver, I watched a lot as well. Probably because we sang a lot of those songs in stage cools growing up, you know, they were obviously the big hits. And also my sister, um, the first show she ever did, she actually played Annie in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin for over a year. So I went to see that quite a lot as well. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of modern musicals, personally. Like I didn't like, I I don't understand the raving about La La Land I thought it was terrible I hated it Um, and even even The Greatest Showman uh, it was okay you know it's probably the best of modern movie musicals but still it doesn't come anywhere near the old stuff it's just they try too hard I think to be cool and mm. you can't be cool. you just got to let a musical be a musical.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I suppose, uh, as you say, a lot of it was singing in stage school and learning those songs off by heart. And so you do have a connection with these older musicals and these older properties, whereas a new musical comes along, you don't know what it's about. People are just starting to sing at you on screen, and that's a very jarring thing in this day and age.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and I, that, those, I, I watched half an hour of the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, which was that <laughs> Will Ferrell and... Uh, Ryan Reynolds that Christmas Christmas thing oh my god horrendous like like the the number one thing if you're going to do a musical the the actors have to sing you cannot just get auto-tune and just you know draw on a screen and make them sound like they can sing. They have to be singers. It's the only person in the, at, the, at the moment in the world that should be allowed to do a, a movie musical is Hugh Jackman. He's the only one that can, you know, he's got the triple threat. He can act, he can sing, he can dance. And, and he's the only one that should be allowed to do a proper musical. Anyone else <laughs> just needs to leave it alone.
0: Well, there was a question about what musical do other people love that you don't quite understand, but I think we've covered that. We've covered that entirely. Well, there's that that and, and Phantom of the Opera. I saw oh, that yeah. as
1: well when I was younger and I, ne- I never liked it. And I knew it was probably at the time probably the most popular musical in the world and i just didn't get it <laughs> and i you know when i was a musical kid at the time and i just i went to see it my mum and dad just thought it's not for me <laughs> just didn't enjoy it it was one of those ones you know you know sometimes when you go to a show that's terrible and you're you're thinking to yourself this has got to be near the end of act 2 and then, you know you, you start mm-hmm. to figure out where the story's gone there can't be much more of this story to tell so it's got <laughs> to be nearly over and that's what i was like you know i was like yeah. Surely there's like maybe four more pages, and that's but it has to be it because I can't go anywhere else with this story. It's gotta be over. It's
0: a weirdly creepy story as well,
1: isn't it? Yeah, I just uh, not for me. And I don't understand why it was so popular.
0: Well, on the flip side of that, what do you think is a romantic musical? Is there one musical you find really romantic? Um, The
1: King and I, I think that was mm. quite romantic. Classic. Good story. Yeah. Um like, still gotta be Greece as well, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> Greece still gotta be that that original, The Bad Boy, and the the nice girl and the whole flipping of it and everything. It's the fact that the bad boy turns into a good guy to get. the Good girl. It's pretty romantic.
0: Do you consider yourself a romantic, affectionate sort of person? I would say so, yeah. I would say so.
1: Above average, maybe. Above average. I try, try, try and do romantic things as much as I can.
0: Well, a lot of your songs are love songs, of course. Do you ever feel like doing a really dark, heavy metal album about death and darkness?
1: Um, I, I had an album I released Australia called The Wall of Sounds, which was quite dark and it was like it was, it, lyrically it was quite dark but it was all kind of pop dance it was quite heavy pop dance like wasn't what I normally do um and I guess my first solo album as well was 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 quite dark it wasn't there was no love songs and that really at all they were all about my life so they were all the dark parts rather than the light parts so hmm. yeah I'm, I'm I'm not always singing romantic songs <laughs> the romantic songs are uh they're actually the hardest to write because you know, I think most songs in the world have been written about love and happiness and they're the hard, the easiest songs to write are about actually when bad things happen because you get all the emotions. But trying to write something about being in love, and being happy is very hard because there's millions and millions of songs out there. So trying to find that original idea, very yeah. hard.
0: Yeah, there's a good variety, um, particularly on the on the new old school album. There there are the love songs. And as you say, that there is a bit more, more darkness in some of them. Um, How did, where did the balance come from for that? Was that just what's going on in your lives at the moment? Yeah,
1: well, we wrote it during COVID. So, hmm. you know, obviously th- th- there's, there's, there was nice moments. Obviously it had a, a newborn baby. So um obviously songs like Because I Love Somebody were, was about having her. And then, you know, you never re- really feel love until you look into a child's eyes. That's that's the first time you feel that love that you can never explain. You, people always say, I love my kids, but you don't. You'll never feel unless you have your own kids and look into their eyes and that feeling is just inexplicable. And and that's what Because I Love Somebody is about. And then obviously we wrote a little saving about um, men's mental health or just mental health in general. Um, but obviously we were focusing on, on men's health because it's talked about less, you know, and, and men talk about their problems less. And during COVID, we you know, a lot of people really struggled during covid Um so we wanted to, to write this song, which was basically encouraging other men to reach out to each other, you know. And and that's why the tagline is everybody needs a little saving sometime. There's no shame in asking somebody for help or to talk,
0: you know. Another part, um, I mean, something else that goes along with all your success that you've had. There's been a lot of press intrusion and interest in your love life. And does that make it hard to stay a romantic, uncynical person? Um,
1: Not really. I think when you get older, you just start to think differently. You know, mm-hmm. I think you start to prioritise what the, the important things in your life, like like your home and your children and and that becomes your priority rather than going out and getting pissed or going to a fancy place on holidays you start to realize that the things you're really working for is to what is what you come home for
0: that's lovely that's really lovely um so what's a musical that people might be surprised to learn that you love something could be like a guilty pleasure or i still love the
1: wizard of oz yeah. <laughs> i really do i yeah. still love the wizard of oz i think it's so good and the original is just so brilliant you know, I know they did Wicked and all that stuff. and um, mm. There is that one great song from Wicked. I, I wasn't mad about Wicked myself, but the original Wizard of Oz, and maybe because I was in it, maybe because I watched it as a kid, but there's still something so pure about that. It mm. just, it has everything. It has absolutely everything in it. And it still stands a test now. I think people watch it now, still fall in love with it for the first time when they see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such—it's one of the first colour movies. It's really old in that respect, but also they just did a production in Leicester over Christmas, I think, which was really successful oh, yeah. as well. It's got such longevity, I think, because it's not set yeah. in the modern world as such. Yeah, You can do it at any time. People can relate to it.
1: That is, it is it's timeless, because you, because even if you did write it now, you're still, the fact that most of it happens in Oz, you can, the first bit and the last bit can be pretty much anywhere in the world and just take you to Oz. And, and I think even that Oz now would still stand true today. I think we'd still all be, blown away to see that you know the poppy fields and the munchkins and all of that and that's the part about it I think it's you know it doesn't matter what this world is like that will always be a weird world to
0: us well speaking of the world of Oz is there it could be Oz is there a world a fictional world in a musical that you'd like to live in
1: yeah El High Greece as I said growing up that was the school I wanted to go to that was the you know the cars and the hair and Everything about that—that, that, the, even the dance, you know, even the the, the dance and the and the something or whatever the dance is called—that—that that is the the world I wanted to be a teenager in. That American high school, Ridel High.
0: Uh, I feel the same thing. Like growing up, you look to things like these, thinking that's what a cool teenager is like. I want to be like that. And then when you get older, <laughs> yeah. you look back and think, "Oh, I wish I was that teenager. I wish I was cool again."
1: Yeah, but you look back now and you go, "I am that teenager." Like John Travolta was like forty or
0: something. Yeah, <laughs> we're
1: supposed to believe he was fifteen or sixteen. You're like, how do we ever believe that? Because like if that if someone like him walked into a school now, he'd be arrested. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, if you were to direct a radical restaging of a classic show, are there any shows you think could benefit from being updated to the modern day or changed?
1: Um, maybe maybe The Wizard of Oz. Maybe maybe that thing I was saying about The Wizard of Oz about because hmm. I think it would work. But have a Wizard of Oz where Oz the middle bit is all exactly the same, but modernize it. Like have it in now in twenty twenty three. The bits kansas or wherever it is or new york city or dublin or whatever yeah and and transport the people to the original laws i still think that would work quite amazing actually it'd be quite cool to have somebody that looks like judy garland and actually make it as a, a new movie with the old movie it'd be kind of cool
0: that would be incredible um so i mean the big yeah. final question of this is if you had the power to make one musical run forever so you could go see it whenever you want what would that musical be? Do you think it would be something like West of Oz or Grease or is there an- no Jersey Boys? Jersey Boys, Jersey
1: Boys. But Jersey Boys for me as well because what? The first time I saw Jersey Boys, I was only a kid, and then when I went to see it again as an adult after I'd been in Westlife, the story it, I relate to it so much because all of it from the boys starting off and everything that happens to the band, it just reminds me of my whole my own life. So. Hmm. If that's the one show when i'm watching it it's feel like i'm watching myself and actually it'd be cool to do the jersey boy story but with the westlife story or something like that you know what i mean to kind of switch it around because every be cool. time i watch it, it just there's just so much relatable parts in it you know so that's probably the one show that would have to last forever
0: yeah it's great that they made a story about the band with the band songs have you yeah. been approached for things like that for westlife or your solo songs i
1: i haven't no no um Oh, listen, people talk about that all the time. I remember when I was working with um, Guy Chambers, him and Robbie were actually going to do it for Robbie. They were, oh. they were writing. I don't know if it ever happened, but they were, they were and I think they were pretty deep into it too. They were, yeah, you know, they obviously had all the songs, the songs are there already, but they were pretty deep into trying to write the script and the idea for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened with that. Maybe it's still happening, but uh, yeah, I think you know after the success of Jersey Boys, I think everybody wants to do that, but not. It's it's never been talked of. I don't think I don't think it would work. For Westlife, it's not. It's you know the, the story is too similar to something like Jersey Boys for it to work now, and especially the fact they're doing all these amazing biography movies now, like and, and doing it a little bit more abstract. Like I loved the Elton John one, Rocket Man. That
0: was fantastic. Where it was a bit
1: abstract, you know, rather than just being straight up. And I thought um Elvis was just beautiful as well. Just what mm-hmm. a great movie. I think that's the way. It needs to be done now and it make it a little bit more arty and just a little bit more abstract
0: um, as you say it's a very saturated world in both theatre and movies for band stories but I think there's a real appetite there for um, you know the naughtiest pop music the boy bands yes
1: maybe if they, if they did one of everyone together or something like that I guess a bit like what? maybe you need Simon Cowell to have another crack at it because he pretty <laughs> much ran most of them didn't he so <laughs>
0: So that was Brian McFadden. What a fantastic guest. Remember to head to boyslifestore.myshopify.com to find details and tickets for the upcoming tour. And do check out the two Boys Life albums they put out too. As we discussed in the interview, there's a lot of variety across the two records and you might just find your new favourite song, whatever your musical tastes are. Don't forget to follow everybody involved on social media. You can find Brian at at Brian McFadden. You can find this show at at Musical Mayor Pod. And you can find Musical Theatre Review currently celebrating their 10th anniversary at at Musical Theatre R. A five star review is always appreciated. And if you tell your friends to tell your family to, I would absolutely love you. The more people who roll their eyes at me pretending to be mayor, the funnier the joke gets and the better the show gets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the fantastic feedback we've had so far. Thank you for listening. I can't wait to pretend to be a mayor again next week. Who will it be? I'm not sure even I know at this point, but please tune in. Make sure you're subscribed and it will download automatically to your podcast app of choice. See you next week. I won't see you, but uh, you, you might hear me next week. Hear me next week. Hear me next week. Bye-bye.